Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of the Bees Analytics podcast. I'm delighted to say we're joined by former bee Charlie McDonald. We're going to have a bit of a chat through about his career, where it's going and what he's doing now. Welcome, Charlie. Hello there. Brilliant to have you on, mate. I know we just spoke about it a bit off bit off air, but what are you doing nowadays to keep yourself busy? Uh, currently, I'm uh, still playing, fortunately, um, at the ripe old age of 39. Uh, still playing semi-professional football for uh, Glebe, which is in step five of the pyramid. But like we just spoke about, the, the lockdowns obviously come, everything's come to a halt at that level um, from step two down and... It's been quite tough in, in terms of obviously having to, to have this month off. Um, but my actual day job is is full-time coaching. So I coach at a, uh, an academy, which is a, a football college programme, which is under Crystal Palace's umbrella. Um, it's called Valenti. Um, we're based, we, uh, we're linked with London Nautical School in Blackfriars. So that that's still up and running because that class is as a, educational and, and it's part of the curriculum. So we can still coach all those boys. But I also coach in a private academy in the afternoons, which is completely shut down so yeah not great but you know we're doing what we can and, and like I said before we have to buy by the government's guidelines and hopefully 2nd of December it'll get lifted but I'm not holding my breath if I'm honest. No it seems to be everything right now it's just the whole entire world stopped again but did you always see yourself going in as a coach post playing career or was it kind if of I'm totally honest, yeah no if I'm totally honest I, I didn't um, I looked at Obviously, when I was a player and I was going into to sessions, some sessions I found monotonous and, and quite boring and, you know, cones everywhere. I was thinking it was, it was close to an airport before it was an emergency landing for, for an airport. But um, no, it, it, I didn't, if, I, if I'm completely honest with you, I didn't, I didn't find it like it really sort of got me. Um, so when I was at Oldham, when I joined Oldham, I, I did a degree, um, a distance learning degree in media so in professional uh, professional broadcasting writing and broadcasting um up at staffordshire university so i did a two-year degree while i was still playing full-time football and i've managed to get a little bit of work off of that uh, bbc radio uh, some bt sports stuff but where i'm still playing i've had to turn a lot of work down as well especially for radio you know match summarizing and stuff like that so i did want to stay in the game i did want to stay involved but coaching wasn't wasn't where I had planned to go but then obviously I did my badges as well just to have some more strings to my bow and I've really enjoyed it I've been coaching now for five years uh, so wow. yeah it's, it's been great it's, it's been great especially when you see some of these younger kids uh, come to fruition and, and, and go up and get, get spotted by academies and, and go into the, the professional game it's very very rewarding. You know and well, we had a look into your career. Obviously, you went you were at Charlton to start with as a young lad, and then happened to fall down into conference level. Was that down to the system that was in place at Charlton, or was it a case of just you went wherever you could at the time? Um, yeah, yeah, I've had this conversation plenty of times with people, and you know, I don't, I don't really like to to say, oh, it was this, it was that. At the time, I broke through as a young lad, um, managed to sign professional terms at, at the age of seventeen, which I was which I was delighted about, but probably probably got a little bit too too big too quick maybe and uh, probably thought I'd cracked it at that age. Uh, I played it, played in the Premier League a few times and uh, it was it was tough because I actually had a had an offer of a, an extension at Charlton, which I, uh, well, my agent at the time went in to, to sort of haggle with and it didn't it didn't come out in in the way I wanted it to. So in the end, the, the contract was pulled. But at the time when I got released from Charlton at the age of twenty one, um, that was when ITV Digital collapsed. Okay. So in the lower leagues, there was there was clubs not being able to take players. There was players having to take wage cuts. There was assistant managers and staff who were having to be made redundant and 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 get let go. So that's why I fell so so big so quick because obviously I ended up from Premier League into the conference which oh, you know it was a it was a massive shock and it took me a, a year to sort of get my head around that and 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 sort of knuckle down and try and get going again if I'm honest yeah would you do you see that taking it into your coaching then especially with some of these lads that are coming through at college level do you find that experience yeah. has helped you in your coaching? yeah I, personally yeah definitely um I, I think some of these some of these lads with, with the way football's evolved over the years as well, I think 
where they're not in an academy system at the moment and they're, you know, 16, 17, uh, you can never say never. You you look at, you know, you take people's experiences like Jamie Vardy, for instance, who didn't get into the into football too, who's late, late developing and Ian Wright didn't get into who was 26 years old as well. And you always got to tell these kids they, they've still got a chance. Um, you know, we'll give them the opportunity. We'll give them the tools to to try and develop and progress and we'll give them the opportunity if we feel that they're ready for one by picking up the phone and we've got a lot of contacts in the game. Myself and Bobby Bowery, who's an ex-Crystal Palace uh, Premier League midfielder who, who also heads up the programme. So we we have been fortunate enough to have boys go into clubs and get professional contracts at, at different clubs in lower league. But we also tell these boys now, even with myself still playing at part-time level, even at semi-professional level now, there's still money to be earned in the game and, and there's still a, um, you know, it's still a, a good career where you've got a platform to play off and, and, and still have a chance of going up. So if it don't work out for you at a, an academy club or a, or a pro club, then you can't look beyond the semi-professional level just to, just to have a platform for you to go and play and express yourself and, and hopefully then you'll get noticed. Yeah, definitely. Charlie, um, yeah, you had... Three loan spells from Charleston. Do, do you think they were a big key in your development as, as a player? Um, yeah, I do. To be honest with you, I, but, but then as a as a at Charlton when I was a player, there was no under twenty three. So when we played in the reserves at Charlton, we were playing with men. So we were playing with the the lads who were not playing on a Saturday for their first teams and uh, against players like I, I I was fortunate enough to play against Gianfranco Zola and. You know, Ian Walker in goal for Tottenham with John Scowls at centre half, and we we had we had big players that we used to play against, and that's because they needed minutes or they was coming back from injury, and so it wasn't the under twenty three, and, and and yeah, I, I do get that it's a little bit forced the under twenty three football at pro clubs, because even now when they're offering those players to even non league clubs now they're running and are in non league clubs and I'm not sure they're ready to go into men's football. Um, so I, I, I do think it made a difference for me, even though I was playing regularly in the reserves. Uh, but yeah, going to get that more competitive football where, it, where you drop down and it, it matters so much more to, to these lower league players because they're not on as much money and they're not classed as elite. And, you know, they've got mortgages to pay and um, bills to pay and they have to make sure that they're on it because you never know where the next contract's going to be coming from. So, yeah, it was um, it was tough. It was a good grounding. Um, it was an eye-opener. And um, like I said before, probably at that age where I'd played in the first team at a young age and I'd played in the Premier League um, before I went to, to the Colchester loan, I, was, I played in the Premier League and I probably thought I was a little bit better than than the level I was going down to. So I didn't really apply myself properly, if I'm honest. And I regret that now because when I did drop out of it and drop into non-league, when I managed to get back in the league again, um, I, I was never going to let that, let that, uh, the second chance pass me by. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of that, obviously you go from being at the top of your game to then not necessarily, but you worked your way back up slowly, especially when it came to your time at Brentford. You came and joined the club in where it was at probably its lowest point it has been in my lifetime anyway. Mm -hmm. But I was going to ask you a question about what do you think then about the academy football in general? Do you think, obviously you mentioned it there with the 23s not being particularly useful right now, what do you think could bridge that gap between uh, under 21s, under 18s, boys football up to that men, the men's game eventually? I would, yeah, I'd love them to scrap the under-23s and go back to reserve football again. It would be brilliant. Um, obviously, I understand why they've done the under-23s because they feel that between the age of 21 and, and 23, the development, get, the development of, of that two years is key. And it gives players the chance to, to stay on at clubs rather than get released too early, which is, which is massive. I, I, don't, I don't doubt that at all. Um, but I don't know, maybe is there room to add a, add a reserves in after a 23s? Um, so the boys that are actually looking like they're physically ready and developed, can they then go and play in with, you know, reserve fixtures, even if it's a small league um, against against other men, against against good players who actually need minutes from from their first teams because they've just come back from injury or they've had a suspension or et cetera, you know, just, just something along them lines rather than going from 23s and then straight into, um, into a first team somewhere and you may not quite be ready. 
Yeah, they've tried to obviously bridge that gap with the EFL trophy for like when they've got the twenty three teams playing in. Yeah, no, yeah, I see that. Yeah, I mean, but a lot of these bigger clubs don't really take the EFL trophy that seriously. That's why they play their young kids. Um, but I understand. Yeah, obviously you've got teams like Leighton Orient who will play their first team and 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 other ones like that. But if you look at some of the results, I mean, some yeah. of these under twenty threes get a pasting. Yes, mm, yeah. There's been some. Who was it this year? I think it was. I know United's under twenty threes absolutely battered Salford. Yeah. And you, you look at that. Of what use is that to the twenty threes battering Salford's under twenty threes? Yeah. I think it was then Leicester or Norwich, one of the two, got really badly beaten. So then, yeah. That... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Leighton Orient's first team beat. Yeah, beat Leicester or Norwich. I think it was their twenty threes. They they give them a pace in about six or something like that. I think it was. So... Um. Yeah, you look at it. So, the yeah. of the development either side. Like no one's really learned anything. You've got some senior pros at Orient that it's just there because they have to play the game because mm-hmm. they're they're forced to play five people from the week before. Yeah, yeah. and then you've got the under twenty three who have just got absolutely battered by a bunch of grown men. So exactly, yeah. So I just you just think where does that leave them? Um, where does that leave them mentally? Because if they're if they're cruising in their under twenty three age group against other under twenty threes in their leagues. And then they go into something like that, and then they get battered. Where's where? Where? What do you do? Where do you sort of see that? Where's the middle ground there? Exactly. No. Personally, for me, academy football, I don't really agree with it as a general. I much prefer the B team method that Brentford have employed. Yeah, so, no, they have, and they've come. I mean, I mean, I played with Sammy Saunders, and he's part of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I still still talk to Sam, and I'm pleased he's doing as well as what he's doing at the club. You know, he's he's um, he's a bit of a legend at Brentford, so. Um, it was great that they got him back involved and, and, and Matthew Benham, the chairman, you know, really liked him. He's got in and they've sort of fast-tracked him a little bit in terms of um, giving him his opportunity. So great for him because it's great for the B players to sort of learn from his experiences as a player and what it takes. And yeah, it's, it's brilliant the way the way Brentford have done that with their B team. Do you see that as the way forward, potentially? Or do you think there's always going to be a need for academy football, especially at the younger ages? I think at the younger ages, you have to have the, the need for academy football. I think they need to get their ground in. They have to be, you know, tactically, technically, socially developed, um, physically, before they can actually go into that into that B. So I do think as an academy, you have to have... I think it's vitally important that you have that. Um, but then you've also, like, you've got, you've got the categories. You've got Cat 1, Cat 2, Cat 3, and... If I'm totally honest, the football college program, and I'll be, I'll say it, the football college program that I run, our top players, our top team that we run in that would beat a lot of Cat Free Academies. Yeah. Like we've played against Cat Free Academies. Um, so the opportunity for some boys not getting, not getting, the, not getting the opportunities to go into academies yet. I feel we have, I feel I coach better players than what, if like teams like, Culture Star and Leighton Orient and AFC Wimbledon have got in the door at the moment. Yes, yeah, so um, but it's just these boys need a chance. That's all. There's that gap, isn't there? Obviously, because if you're Orient, you're competing against your Chelsea's, your Arsenal's, your Tottenham. Correct. Uh, yeah. I think that's the biggest flaw with the academy system and with the EPPP. Is obviously it's yeah. that divide to come in, where players can obviously just get if they're any good at seven or nine, seven years old. They can be taken and put into this Chelsea system and then be dumped by the time they're eighteen. Yeah, think- no, it's it, it's a it's a it's it's a weird one. I mean, we've got a lad at the moment. Um, we coached a lad a couple of years ago who we sent. He went to play men's football at Worthing in in uh, in the Ryman Prem. Um, he played about six or seven games there, and he, he got he uh, he was getting a lot of attention. And this is bearing in mind, this is before we'd already sent him into clubs. So we'd, we'd sent him into, he'd been on trial at uh, AFC Wimbledon, uh, got a no. He actually went to Brentford and he went to Italy with Brentford's uh, B team in the pre-season. And they really, really liked him. But the, the reason they said they didn't take him was it was because he wasn't tactically ready. Now, for me, I think you as coaches need to make him tactically ready. He has to be wanting to be tactically ready the Brentford way, mm-hmm. um, not not any other way. So if he's not used to being the way Brentford need him to be, it, it's you as coaches' job now to try and make him tactically ready. So I didn't really see see that as a as, as a valid 
reason why they didn't take him. But he didn't go and he didn't he didn't lose any faith. In the end, he ended up going to, on loan to Colchester and they ended up giving him a year's pro and a year's option. He played 30-odd games last year, scored six goals in the first team, signed the new deal. And he's being spoken about now of going to a, a, another club and being being uh, being paid. Uh, they're paying in 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 a region of two million pound for him. And one of them clubs <laughs> is Brentford. <laughs> so um, yeah. So um, yeah. No. So I mean, you have success stories like that. It's, it's brilliant. Um, but it's about for me for these young boys, the the, the best players are the ones with the, with a the mental resilience. They have to be resilient because they're going to get plenty of knockbacks, and it's how they deal with them knockbacks that 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 will, will define their character. Yeah. Would you say that's one of the biggest things then, and for people that go into the professional game, because everyone dreams of being a striker and going on and scoring tons of goals. Do you think the mental side is often overlooked in football? Yeah, definitely. I think the mental side is 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 vitally important. I'd say that is one of the. If you if someone says to me, "What's the three things that you need the most?" Resilience would be one of them. Men- mentally. Being resilient because, you know, everyone wants praise, but then you you have to be be ready for your your criticism, as long as it's constructual and you can learn from it. And you know, people get a battering, and like I say, the lower down you go, especially these under twenty three boys. I mean, if they go into a first team dressing room lower down, and all of a sudden don't have a great game, and they get start getting the so called hair dryer treatment, how is that? It, will that affect them? We, we don't know have they have they come across that before we don't really know so it's um it's a totally different world uh playing in the in a full-time men's football than it is in in, a, in an academy level so i do think these boys have to be prepared and and resilient but fortunately for me i was my, my sort of attitude my mental attitude was where i was at the start of my career to where i dropped to um at first I felt sorry for myself. So for the first year of dropping into the conference, I felt sorry for myself. I was, I was like, what am I doing here? I'm better than this. But, you know, actions speak louder than words. It took me a year to get myself sorted out. And then, and then I, I then had a mindset of, I'm going to prove people wrong. Um, I want to, I want to show people that they was wrong. And I'll, and, you know, and that's been my sort of mindset was making sure that if I get critics and people that doubted me, then that was my motivation then to go and, prove people wrong and and that's how I was so mentally I, I feel I am quite a strong character mentally and I, and I feel that yeah it is vitally important um, for, for boys characteristics these days yeah brilliant uh, great insight there I love that as, as someone that's a young coach or just starting my coaching and analysis career it's been great insight listening to your thoughts on youth football especially I think we'll move on a bit into now your more playing career and especially your time at Brentford, which mm-hmm. arguably was your most successful spell in your career. I know James yeah, no, to find out, what, what do you think made it so successful? Was it a system? Was it the management? I think it was a little bit of everything. Um, at the time, obviously, my, my, my spell at Brentford, I, I don't know whether, obviously, you know this, but I could have gone there a year earlier. Um when I when I obviously played in non-league, I was at Gravesend and North Fleet, which are which are now Herb's Fleet. I scored a lot of goals for them, and I saw my contract out, and there was about three clubs who I'd been speaking to 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 go back into the league. So I, I was fortunate enough to have a few options. Um, one of them was Scunthorpe, who had just been promoted to the Championship. The other was Southend, who had just been relegated from the Championship, and then obviously the other one was Brentford in League Two. But at the time, Terry Butcher was manager. Okay. Um, so I actually did go to to Osterley, uh, to the training ground, and with my agent, and, and we had, made a sat sit down at a meeting with um, with Terry and Andy Scott was his number two at the time. And the first thing Terry said to me when I walked through the door was, "I'm not going to lie, I don't know who you are, but I'm going off Andy's recommendation." So straight away, as a player, I'm thinking, "Well, this is the manager. If he's telling me he doesn't know who I am." So like, and he has never he's never seen me play and straight away I sort of switched off a little bit and I thought this ain't the club for me um, but then obviously Andy carried on his pursuit of me and once Andy then got the job he was he was interested still and Terry Bullivant was a, was a key figure as well as the coach um, and I just think that, that Brentford's pursuit of me even though I'd signed for Southend keeping tabs on me coming to watch me play for Southend reserves when I wasn't playing in the first team and and then, and then the willingness to then buy me in the summer with a couple of bids 
uh, bought me in the summer. It was just the, the fact of how much they wanted me and how much I felt like I was wanted. As a player, you, you want to feel wanted uh, straight away when I come in. I'd already had half a pre-season with, with um, South End, so I was, I, was at a, I was at a good level of fitness. Um, and then I missed the first couple of games of the season with a, with a bit of a groin injury. But I suppose the Grimsby game, the first game, um, with the way it went and obviously um, with the fans... With the fans seeing what I could do on day one was 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 huge, and and I think that 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 helped me settle in and that helped me have a have a rapport with the fans and yeah from then on it was you know I felt loved at the club as, as the more I went on and I felt appreciated loved and as a player you want to feel loved and appreciated and, and my, my family was welcome all the time it was just a great little club if I'm honest and. Yeah, I felt really, really at home there, and I suppose that that's that's why you you saw the the stats and and the goals and the the performances that I managed to to give in my in my time at Brentford. Because as a player, if you're feeling good and and everything around you's right, then there's there's no excuses, and, and you can go into games, you know, with, with with no no nothing on your mind apart from the job in hand. Yeah, definitely. That League Two season, obviously, you got injured. Was it around the March time? You... Yes, it was. Yeah. Did yeah. you did your shoulder, and by that point, you'd already scored eighteen in your first season, which is incredible numbers for at that time. Do you... Yeah. No. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. go on. That's fine. That's fine. No, I was, obviously, I was disappointed that I couldn't see see in the end of the season, which uh, which obviously was a lot of hard work from the from the whole squad, and um, I wanted to hit over that twenty mark, but. Um, yeah, it wasn't to be, and but fortunately for us, it, it's not about me as an individual. It's about us as a club, and, and we we had we we done the job we set out to do, and 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 we managed to lift the trophy. Yeah, definitely. Did you take that mindset then into the following season? Because you then again won or Brentford's golden boot and get seventeen the season after, was it? Yeah, no, I did, and um, that was the, that was more ple. I mean, as much as you want as a footballer, you want to win trophies and be successful. Um, and luckily for me, I've got a few promotions under, over my CV, and, uh, and and that's great. But what what was great for me was obviously coming back from that serious injury because the shoulder it, it weren't just any dislocation; it popped out the back, and I had a bit of a, a heel sacs, which is a chip in the in the in the in the joint, which means I had to have open surgery rather than keel surgery. So it kept me out for. They said it was going to keep me out for six months. I managed to get back in five months, and. Um, I suppose I had a point to prove again at League One level because at South End I didn't really get as many games as what I thought, and I wanted to make sure I proved people wrong again. So, yeah, when I got back in, I felt fresh. You know, luckily for me, a majority of my rehab was in the summer, so I didn't miss too much of that following season. And um, yeah, no, it was it was brilliant. The rehab I done, the the everything, I, I, all the physios I worked with, and you know, I was always constantly spoken to. By, the, by, by management and, and staff. And sometimes as an injured player, a long-term injury, it can be a lonely place because some managers won't speak to you. Um, if you're not available to them, they, 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 they won't speak to you, you know? And, and that's, again, that's a mental thing. It's quite a lonely place being injured, but I managed to get through it, like I said. And a lot, fortunately for me, if it was five months of the season, then it would have been a lot tougher. But because I, it was the off-season... Um, yeah, it was great, and then obviously coming back, and I think I, I think I made my debut at, in that League One season against uh, Charlton. I come on at Charlton as a sub. I think that was my first appearance back um, after the shoulder injury. So great, obviously going back to the Valley and coming on there. Um, so yeah, it was it, it, listen. It was it, it was great. It was great times, and and yeah, as a striker, you, it's your job to score goals, and and luckily for me, I, I managed to do that at the club quite frequently. Brilliant. Would you say put Andy Scott then as one of your best coaches, dash managers you worked under, or is there in your later career have you gone on and found someone else that's you felt the same way you did at Brentford? No, yeah, of course. But Andy Scott would, was a massive factor in in terms of uh, how things were with me. You know, he he made it quite clear that um, when he signed me, I was he signed me to play, um, and when I was fit, I played, and when I was injured, I was. I was not hurried back, but you know, I was. You could see that they needed me back, and they wanted me to get me back as quick as possible. So, being a being a main focal in in a in a team is is what you want. Um, and they and they made me that. Andy made me that. Terry Bullivant made me that. And 
I thrived off that. So yeah, Andy and, and Terry, um, yeah, they they would definitely they would definitely be up there because as a, as a player, you want like I say, you want to be successful, you want to win trophies. So straight away we won League Two. We had a good finish in our first year in League One, and um, yeah, I mean, f- for me, I enjoyed my time under 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 those two. Definitely, there's other coaches that I've obviously in my in my earlier days where I'd say taught me the basics and you know were really good coaches in my grounding um, of of football. But yeah, I'd have to say in terms of like like you mentioned before, the best years of my career were at Brentford, no doubt, and and Andy and Terry were a massive part of that. Yeah, definitely. You, when you joined Brentford, it coincided with the fan ownership over into Benham. Did you sense that then Brentford was a club on the up that was moving forward, or was it just a case of you were playing? It was going really well at the time, and the external stuff was didn't really catch on the radar. Yeah, I think as players, we 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 don't try to the external stuff. We we try to sort of leave to to the, them people up there in the boardroom and stuff. You know, as players, we we want to get on with our training. We want to get on with our all of our fitness work and, and then go into, into matches. So we didn't let that bother us too much. Um, I think when I first got there, the expectation wasn't it wasn't to win the league. It was, you know, can we push to get into the playoffs? Um, but, uh, you, you know, the way we started and the squad we had, um, how hungry we were as, as, a, as a team, the, the characters we had in the dressing room and the team spirit we built up, it, 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 was, it was massive. And that... You know, in big games, everyone stood up to be counted, and uh, it, listen, it was a, it was a fantastic season and one that will live in my memory. Uh, you know, it's, it was fan- it's great to to be able to you know tell your kids or not tell your kids because my, my my boys were there, but obviously to to have them sort of memories and go back over them sort of them sort of games and uh, situations and moments. Um, yeah, fantastic to be able to lift trophies and. Like I say, uh, one of the memories that is, lives up there with one of the highlights of my career. Great. What, what would you then say personally is your favourite game that you've played in on an individual level and then on a team level? For Brentford? Oh, no, just across your career. There's... Oh, across my career. Um, oh, the favorite, my favourite moment would probably be scoring in the Premier League. Um, as a kid, you dream, you dream of playing at the highest level. And um, for me... There was no, there was no greater, greater level than playing in the, in the Premier League, and you know to to, to come on as a substitute at one 0 down against Newcastle and and manage to score the equaliser was, yeah, it was one of the one of my best ever memories. I mean, as as a, as a youngster, it's, it's what you like I say, it's what you dream of, and to be able to say I've I've, I've graced the Premier League and I've scored in the Premier League is is something I'll be proud of, and, and no one can ever take that away from me. Um, but on a consistency level, you know, to playing at Brentford, uh, what would I say would have been the, the best game I played in? Do you know what? It might. I'd say it probably was the Everton game. The... In, the, in 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 the cup, uh, yeah. yeah, the Everton game in the cup under the under the lights on a Tuesday night. I mean, they had they had some really good players at the time: Phil Neville, Fellaini, Arteta, Stephen Pienaar, uh, Jake Yelker at the back, and it was. Um, yeah, they was they was a, a good side, and you know we we gave them a real real good game, um, you know. And for me, it was it was a I had mixed emotions because obviously I missed a penalty in normal time, and um, I'm obviously I was confident to step up in the shootout and and manage to put it away in the shootout. So yeah, it was a it was a fantastic game, and that cut run we went on that year was was brilliant as well. So that stands out for me that the, the the Everton game and and managed to beat to beat Everton. Was was a was a great one, yeah. I I'm quite a young fan, and I started supporting the bees. I think it was that season, the League Two season, and then obviously since then it's just been an upwards trajectory. Since, and I I will make a small confession. Growing up, you were my absolute idol. And I remember, <laughs> like I, I was going to bring it up later with one of the fan things you might have had to do, but yeah, you were an absolute idol to me growing up. And, <laughs> um, no, I appreciate through, that. I remember, the, was it the Birmingham game and then the cup game afterwards you scored away at Birmingham, I think it was, in that uh, same cup season? Yeah, no, I didn't score. I set up Woodsy. Sam Wood scored the goal. Um, it was yeah, um, and it went to penalties again, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. but I, I, I was I was off. I think I came off in extra time. 
Um, I was absolutely shattered and obviously in the penalty shootout we, we unfortunately got beat but Kevin Phillips scored a late equaliser that day didn't he so like he's done so many times in his career but yeah again but then you look at that and I think Birmingham went on to win it that year didn't they they did yes I was getting yeah, yeah, listening yeah, to the eventual winners no exactly yeah so that's that's yeah you say one thing one thing about it is yeah you're getting beat by the by the winners so yeah, it'd be a bitter pill to swallow, but we had some good games. Over. I mean, we beat Hull as well in that cup, so it was that we had some good good games in that competition that year. You also then obviously went on the cup run in the JPT that final, but towards the back end of that season, obviously Scott was then sacked in the February time, and Forster took over. Did you see that kind of as once Scott left, it was your time to move on from the club, or did you? No, because no, just... I, I didn't. Yeah, I thought. Um, I roomed, I roomed a few times with Nicky and um, me and Fozzy was, we, we, we had a good relationship, even though we was, we was, you know, two forward players. Um, and he made it quite clear to me once Andy had left, because obviously he knew that sort of relationship I had with Andy, and he, he made it quite clear. He called me in his office. He said to me, "Listen, you know, don't, uh, you're a massive part of the plans, and you're still, you're, you're a number one, you know, centre forward, and um, we, we want you to stay and." I want you to be on board with what we're trying to do. So I was like, yeah, listen, no problem. Listen, what's happened with Andy Scott has happened and I'm a Brentford player and, you know, that's, I'll, I'll remain a Brentford player as, as long as as long as the club want me or I feel like I, it's not time to move on, you know? So that 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 season ended disappointingly for me because I, I missed that JPT final, which was I was devastated about because in the semi-final against Exit, I fractured my ankle. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I mean, I mean, I come, I, yeah, I fractured the ankle, come back a little bit too quickly against Brighton at home. I think it was in a league, and it went again. Um, so yeah, I mean, the club were the club were great. I mean, Mark Warburton at the time and and Fozzie, they said, listen, they could see I was I was devastated. I was I wasn't going to make it, and they said, listen, you've had your scan, you've got your you've got your boot to put on, um, book yourself a holiday and get yourself away with the family for a week. So um, yeah, I was probably the most tanned. Town fellow in Wembley <laughs> Stadium that day. <laughs> yeah, so I was, uh, so yeah, I mean, went went away for a week and, and just chilled out and just done some work in the gym um, and then come back and I was a little bit refreshed and went to support the boys, but um, unfortunately wasn't it wasn't a great a great spectacle and and not a great result in the end. No, yeah, Degarga getting sent off. I think it was around 50, 60 minutes. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I mean, we'd we'd beat Carlisle three one in the league not so long before that, you know, and I managed to get a couple that day. I think, or I got one, and Miles Weston got a couple. I remember rightly, but um, yeah, they were just a bit of a dogged side, and they had a bit of experience, but they were they were quite well organised. But other than that, they didn't really, you didn't really feel that they was they was going to beat us. But yeah, I mean, they did, and yeah, it wasn't meant to be that day. It's just one of the things, especially. Obviously, in that summer, then you moved on to MK Dons. Yeah, the reason behind that, yeah, so the story behind the MK Dons move was um, obviously Nicky Forster got the sack, didn't he? Uh, and they, Uwe came in. And mm-hmm. I thought, I thought, you know, this is going to be great. He's, an, he's a, He was a top player. You know, he played for Man City in the Premier League. He's a centre forward, so I'm going to be able to learn from him. He's European, so he's, he's, we're, we're gonna we're gonna have totally different sort of training structure and, and bits and pieces. So um, when he first come in, you know everything seemed seemed fine, and but then pre season, so I'd, I'd come back from that's when I'd come back from my I think it was my ankle injury. Yeah, I'd come back from my ankle injury. I was I was fit, I was ready, and then pre, he obviously brought a few players in, Clayton Donaldson being one of them, and then. Pre-season, I didn't find myself playing many minutes. And I was a little bit like, well, all right, I'm not really playing many minutes, but the minutes I have played, I, I, I was top goal scorer in pre-season. I think I had six goals in pre-season. Um, me and Gary Alexander had a few goals between us and Clayton Donaldson failed to hit the back of the net in pre-season. So once we had the first game of the season, I think we had Yeovil at home and I found myself sitting on the bench. I thought, this, I'm not sure what's happening here. Um and then I was on the bench again the following game, um, uh, and then I went to I went in and had a chat with him, and I, and I said to him, I need, I need to know like what's the reason I'm not, I'm not playing, and you know, I scored I was scoring goals in pre-season, and 
I don't really see myself as as a player who wants to sit on the bench. I, I need to be in the team. Um, and he just said, oh, I've, I've gone with the big two because I'm because of defensive set pieces. And I, I'm looking and I'm listening to what Uwe's saying and I'm thinking, you're a centre-forward and you're talking to me about defensive set-pieces. Um, yeah, quite a so I quite, Yeah, I couldn't quite get my head around it, if I'm honest. And then, so, you know, I stayed again and then I think the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was when we travelled to Exeter in, in one of them cups and I think we was only allowed five subs and he took me all the way to Exeter and I wasn't even sub. So then that was when I said, listen, I, I can't, I can't just let, I'm 30 years old now, I can't let my, this pass me by. I mean, I, I've been in great form pre-season. So I just said, I said to my agent, listen, it's not happening. It's not going to happen for me here. You know, it's made it quite clear that he, I don't know, I just don't, I'm not feeling the love. Um, and it was something that I didn't really want to do because I really loved my time at Brentford. I didn't really want to leave, but for the sake of me playing, I wasn't one of them players prepared just to sit on the bench and accept it. Um, so yeah I said to my agent um, you know have a look see what's out there for me before deadline day and in the end I had a, I had a few clubs that had, had come in and I was so close to signing for Notts County under Martin Allen um, I had a meeting with them you know it was a three year contract on the table with them it was a really good deal and I was that close and it was MK Donzu coming at the last minute after they sold Sam Bulldog to West Ham um, and then obviously once I went and spoke to Carl Robinson up there and I used to I used to love watching when we played against MK Dons a few times. They really played some good football and keep the ball. And it was, I thought, you know what, I'm going to probably get chance. I'm going to get chances in this team. They're going to be able to create for me. So in the end, yeah, that was the option I took. The MK Dons one. Yeah, you you mentioned Martin Allen. You meant it, managed to reunite him with him, wasn't it? Two three years later at Barnet. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. There's now this. Yeah, with Martin, it was. Um, he tried to sign me about four times in my career, Martin, when he was at Barnet previously and then he was at Gillingham as well. Um, tried to sign me when I when I left MK Dons. I ended up going to Leighton Orient, but he tried to sign me to go to Gillingham. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when I did sign for Barnet under Martin, he, I'd already I'd already had medical at a medical Oxford. Um, so I was going to sign for Oxford in League Two. I had a medical Oxford with Gary Waddock as manager. And I had a medical, I had a medical at about one o'clock in the afternoon and at two o'clock, Gary got the sack. Um which is, yeah, but my, that, that didn't, that didn't, yeah, that didn't affect my, my move because I think who, who went in there, the, uh, Michael Apperton went in there and, um, it didn't affect my move. They, they were still quite keen, but I, I don't know. It just, for me, it was, do I, do I do that traveling again? Do I have to, you know, move out of London to go up to Oxford? It was a bit of a journey from London. So in the end, I knew Martin was interested. So, we went down and spoke to Martin and yeah, we, we got the deal done at, at Barnet and what a fantastic year it was. I've got to be honest, I, even though I had a couple of injuries at, at the time, no day was ever the same under Martin Allen. Yeah. And it was, um, that was, that was great. I mean, the unpredictability of the man made training exciting. You know, like you go in in the morning thinking something's going to happen today and I'm going to be laughing and, yeah, uh, yeah, no matter what it was, he'd always do something and you'd be like, oh my God. And you just, you know, it was great. We had a great team spirit there as well. And um, it was fantastic. He made me captain um, and we, we managed to, to, to win the conference. Uh, and again, another another great achievement, another great memory I'll have in, in my career to be able to do that. Brilliant. Did, did you always um, see your career kind of keeping it going as long as possible by going down the leagues? Was that always the plan? Um... I think it wasn't always the plan. I think once I, once I, we, it, Barnet ended quite bitter because obviously I, I played on an injury. Uh, I'd done my meniscus, um, but I, I did it in the February. But because of where we was in the table and I knew I could manage it where I'd be a sort of bit part player till the end of the season if the club needed me, I, you know, I could, I could do it and then load, load off of it. And I had my knee drained a couple of times uh, where the fluid was in it. So, I thought I put the club before my, my own needs, and I thought once we'd won the win the league, I can go and get my knee sorted out, and then great, we're back in League Two. Um, but I had a little bit of a disagreement with the the sort of who was going to be doing my operation um, at the time under Barnett. So uh, I I went to bearing in mind we was insured by Booper, 
So it weren't going to cost the club any money. It was all, it was all done through Bupa. And um, I went over to the to a, a clinic over in London called the Fortieth Clinic, and I see the top knee specialist in the country is a fellow called Andy Williams. Now he's understudy. Mister Mister Ball was the one who I saw, but basically the chairman wanted another fella to to do my knee called Panas Thomas, who was basically the chairman's mate, who was who was a surgeon as well. But me and Panos, <laughs> Panos was the one who put my shoulder back into its place when it when it popped out at Brentford. Um, and the way he put my shoulder back in, it took him about 15 minutes. And, you know, I'll never know in my head whether it was putting it back in that caused more damage to the, to the actual joint or actually doing it when, I, when it popped out. I, I'll never know. But for me, I think you've got to have that trust as a player, especially if someone's going to be doing a surgery on you. And I didn't really have that trust with Panos doing a surgery, if I'm honest. Uh, and and the, I don't the chairman didn't like that, so in the end they they didn't offer me a new deal. It's yeah, weird weird thing again that whole thing about being trust trusting feeling a part yeah. of something and yeah you mentioned exactly. it quite a lot exactly. So from there I went to to Boreham Wood, so I dropped back back down to part time level at Boreham Wood, and if I've got to be honest, uh, probably the worst the worst time of my career um, at Boreham Wood. Uh, the way the club was run, the way the way they done things down there, um, just didn't. It just wasn't wasn't right at all. Um, and in the end, you know, like they because I, I signed there on a part time deal. So when I went part time, it was one of them ones. I think I don't know how old I was. I must have been thirty four. I think I might have been thirty four. Um, and it was one of them ones. If I now go to part time and I'm only training two nights a week, I'm now going to take less load off my body which means I might be able to prolong my career to play longer. Um, so I'm not loading my body every day. I get more recovery time. I can now look to to do some things outside of, of football now to set me up for when I actually eventually do the transition of finishing playing. And uh, after joining Boreham Wood, seven weeks later, they decide that they're going to go three mornings a week, but not discuss people's contracts. And you've got to agree with it. And I said, well, I can't agree with giving you three mornings a week when I've signed a deal for two nights a week. I said, my mornings have now, my daytimes have now been freed up to now do other things because going from full-time to part-time, obviously there's a financial difference and I need to go and make that financial difference up. I've got a family to support. I've got bills to pay. Um, and they just weren't having it <laughs> because I think at the time I was probably the ex most experienced player that they had down there and all the rest were younger players who were thriving to be professional. So for them younger players who live at home with their parents still, who've got no who've got no, you know, bills to pay or they've they've got no responsibilities, they saw three mornings a week as brilliant. It's a step towards full time football. Hmm. Um so yeah, in the end I, I was sort of cast aside and I was training on my own over an evening with the physio. <laughs> um but yet they still was picking me in the squad to play on a Saturday. It was very strange, very weird. Um, and it just weren't working out. So I ended up going on loan to St. Albans in the league below. Uh, and they were spot in the league at the time. And we managed to stay up on the last day, last day of the season, which was which was great because obviously I didn't want to have a relegation on my CV. Um, but yeah, from then on, obviously, I knew that if it, the part-time thing for me would, would be, yeah, if I, if I could play part-time, I'm going to get, I'm going to be able to, get more recovery in between sessions. I'm not going to be loading my body as much as everyday stuff. So hopefully if I keep myself ticking over, um, I, I can, I can manage to, to carry on playing for, for, for a few years. So touch wood so far. Yeah. So far, so good. It's going well. Um, you mentioned that discourse. Do you think it was between boardroom and coaching staff was causing that at Boreham Wood or was it just a case of just circumstances where it just doesn't work out quite as you hoped at the time? Um, yeah, I just think it was, I don't know, there was, a, there was, I don't really want to go into too much about it because I don't really start, I want to start sort of bad-mouthing yeah, no people and, um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a case of, listen, I was a, I was a, a name who had come from a level and, um, I don't know, I just think it was an ego thing with, with, with the, with the, the chairman and, and maybe the manager, um, at the time, uh, the fact that I, I, didn't want to 
so-called toe the line, but it, it, weren't a, it weren't a case of toe the line. Listen, if you wanted me to do three mornings a week, you needed to adjust my contract. It was as simple as that. Um, and that way, then we could have come to an arrangement, but they didn't want to do that. They just felt that they could just do that. And I, I just felt the power that they felt they could just have by just changing from two nights a week to three mornings and people just having to go along with it. And if you don't go along with it, well, that's your fault. I, I just... It, it, yeah, just, just, it was just a weird one and I know they had a bit of a, a spat with a, with another player previously which I found out after which ended up going to court so um, yeah they've had they've got they've got reputation of, of, of that down there and yeah, listen it, it, it is what it is it didn't work out it uh, I don't really I don't really I don't really say much about Boreham Wood if I'm honest when, when I go through my CV and stuff like that I don't really mention them so that's how much I I, I just despise my time at the club yeah, it's just a blip on the CV. You mentioned, yeah, basically, yeah. You yeah. mentioned obviously Bournemouth was a struggle, but then since then, especially in your lower league careers, you've gone on and scored buckets of goals. So it's the <laughs> easiest way to pull it. Yeah, yeah. No, it, yes, it, it's been great. I mean, uh, even though you get older and you might lose half a yard in the legs, but you never use it in, never lose that in the, in the brain, you know, in the head. So um, I've managed to keep myself physically fit. You know, I'm probably in as good a shape as I am as when I was playing professional football. Um, uh, good weight. Um, uh, I load my. I don't load my body as much. I only train at the moment now. I only train once a week. But because I'm coaching every day, I'm on my feet. I'm mobile. I'm I'm involved with with sessions. So I think that's a way of me me being able to maintain fitness and 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 being physically ready and and still being able to do what I'm doing even now, even at the, the low level that I'm playing at. And um, no, it's great because, you know, everyone says you're a long time retired in the game. So for me, people say, oh, you know, when you're going to, what you're going to do, you're going to carry on playing till you're this age. And I say, listen, I'll take it year by year. Um, for me, when's the right time to retire? I don't think there's any right time to retire. I think the, the, the time to retire is when there's not, not an offer there for you anymore. Um, if there's no offer there anymore for you, then... It means that you're you're done and 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 that you can't give a club something that they need. Um, again, I'll assess it again at the end of, at the end of this season and and see how my body is and see how my body feels and see where I'm at in terms of goals and what I've done, and then I'll decide again what's going to happen next year. But to be fair, I have said this is going to probably be my last one, but never say never. Have you found the adjustment? Obviously, Gary Alexander has gone from being teammate now to your gaffer. Have you found that as a as a player has been an odd one or pretty? Easy no, to not really. I've I've known Gaz since I was ten years old, so we grew up in the same sort of area. So even before he came to Brentford, like we we were, we were pals, we knew each other, and um, going to going to to Greenwich Borough with him to, to, as a manager to start off with, he he was. Um, he was fine. I mean, he was still in a process and a transition of, of coming away from playing as well. So he was finding it a little bit tough by hanging his boots up and going to the managerial side of it rather than... So he's dipping himself in and out of game still. And um, But no, under Gaz, it, 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 it's been fine. I mean, I wouldn't have re-signed for Gaz if I didn't feel that, you know, we have a, we have a relationship and he knows he knows how I, I can manage my own body and you know, what, what it takes for me to get ready for games and he knows what he expects. I know what he expects from me, and um, yeah, it's it's been it's been good. But what I find now is that clubs at the lower levels they don't only they don't only want me in the building for what I can do on the pitch. It's 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 what I bring. It's what I bring with it. So like my preparation before games, and um, you know my experiences, and you know talking to these younger boys and. All the all the little bits and pieces that come with it that that's going to help and you know help the club and help help the younger players. I think that's a that's a big thing as well. Is 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 not only what I can do on the pitch, it's what I do off it, and that's that's why I've probably still managed to to play in the game and I still had had offers to to still play at you know some sort of level. If tomorrow, hypothetically, a League Two club came in for you, would you go back into professional football again, or are you quite content where you are now with part time? Sure. That's a hypothetical one, isn't it? Um, listen, I'd love to go back into football. I'm not going to lie; it'd be brilliant. Um, uh, do I feel I'm? Do I feel I can still play at a higher level? Yes, um, I do. Um, 
it can be very frustrating at the lower levels with some of the some of the players you're playing against, some of the games that you're in. But you know it is what it is, and you, you've got to do what you, do what you can and and do it professionally. And that's that's one thing that I will say that I've never changed is I've never changed my preparation before games, what I eat before games, hydrating myself, and um, I think that's helped me. That's helped me at 39 years old. That's helped me still play now with all these young lads. I mean, boys. Boys don't believe I'm 39, <laughs> which is great. Which is great because obviously there's some lads who I, I feel that they say they're a certain age and I think they're 50. <laughs> so um, no, uh, it's good because if if if, if the boys like, oh no, yeah, you're running around still and you're mobile and you, this that the other, you're never 39. I, I wish I wasn't. <laughs> 39 I really years old. I wasn't. Yeah, uh, yeah, Peter Pan. So um, <laughs> yeah, no, I wish I wasn't. I wish uh, I wish. Um, like I say, it's a, it's a it's a short career, and I will miss playing. Um, I'll miss the dressing rooms, uh, and I'll miss that every day. I'll miss that Saturday feeling, getting up, knowing you've got a game at three o'clock, preparing yourself, getting there, getting ready. You know, nothing's going to be able to replace that. So when that finally does come to an end, that that will be that will be tough. But again, I think I've managed to 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 put all my ducks in a row and. And make sure that I'm I'm ready and and the transition's been uh it's been quite fluent in terms of uh getting it done. So the transition's going to be a lot easier when I do finally say, listen, we're done now on that on a Saturday. What now can I do on Saturdays and Tuesday nights? Yeah, that's the thing. Do do you see yourself then stepping into senior football on a coaching capacity or just where the wind takes you? Yeah, you can never say never on that one. Um, possibly. Um, I mean, that, that's a possible avenue I can go down because obviously with a football college programme that I, I do at the moment, I take games. So not only do I coach the training, I take games and I enjoy the match day experience with these younger boys as well. So, I mean, that's under eight, under 19 football um, in the National Youth League. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we've got our way, we've got our structure, we've got our philosophy of playing. So, in a way, you know, I'm set up for it, but you know, there is other avenues I can go down. I mean, the 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 agency that I, I work for, um, the the for the football college program is Valenti. They've got an agency program. I mean, Bobby Barry was my agent as a player, so there's a talk of obviously me going into the agency side of it and you know going to look after players and going to games, watching games, catching up with players, recruiting new young players, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things that I could. I've got I've got to sort of work out where I see myself best. Do I see myself going to do match summarising back onto using my media degree and going to do some radio work? You know, there's there's loads of little little avenues I, I may be able to go down and dip in and dip out of. Just to close lead to it, we'll finish it up there then. Um, what's your best story you can tell us from your experience as a footballer? You obviously mentioned with Martin Allen was something else during the back end of your <laughs> career. What would you say is your best story that's probably can be told live on air because there's probably a few Ooh. that can't be mentioned yeah there probably is a few that can't be mentioned um best story hmm story it's a, it's a tough question that to be honest with you um i'm not sure let me come back to that one let me have a little think of that one let me come back to that one that's all right yeah Obviously, someone that's played at a professional level of the game for most of your career, what's the weirdest engagement you've had with a fan? To be honest with you, it was probably, I'd say weirdest, I'd say it was probably a Brentford fan, if I'm honest. Yeah, um, yeah it, was, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a very, I wouldn't say weirdest, I'd say it was probably a little bit uncalled for. So it was when I was at MK Dons. I was at MK Dons, we come to Griffin Park and... Um, I think the first time I come to Griffin Park, we we ended up drawing three all. Do you remember the game? Uh, was, I don't remember that to be honest. I think Leon Legg scored a late equaliser for for Brentford. Um, we ended up going three 0 up. I think at MK Dons, I scored. Um, and then the second time we went back there, um, I think I was sub and I was warming up along the line. And then one of the fans come to the front behind the goal, and he was absolutely abusing me, telling me you went for the money and. You, you, you was, you was right sitting on the treatment bed taking your wages, and I was, wow, where's this coming from? And 
like very aggressive and uh you know i'll be honest with you it's the only time i've really had a had, had an altercation like that with with any sort of fan because whenever i've gone back to griffin park or whenever i played brentford i've got a fantastic reception and you know when scoring against brentford i've never celebrated and you know i have that respect for the, the fans and you know they they made my journey at the club as, as good as it was so i was yeah i was a little bit surprised at that one if i'm if i'm totally honest uh, with with that one with a fan so I think after the game, I think the steward after the game, he was waiting for me outside the, the changing room. I said, what's up? He said, oh, I'm just going to walk you down to the coach. I said, really? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, no, listen, don't worry. I'm fine. Like, it's not a problem. And he was like, oh, no, you know, we've got to do it. So, yeah, no, other than that, other than that I've not really had a, a weird one with a fan. So, odd, odd one, for, especially from base fans who tend to... Yeah, here's a story here's a story for you so oh, the God, story then. go on so when I was a youngster at Cholton we played so I, was, I broke into the first team and you know I was managed to get a few appearances and, and off the bench and we played um, we played Stoke away in yeah we played Stoke away in one of the cup competitions and I was warming up on the side of the pitch and at the time uh, John Solarco uh, you would know, you remember John Salako played for England, played for Crystal Palace, uh, done a bit of pundit work on Sky Sports, and uh, he was obviously coming towards the end of his career, and he uh, he was warming up with me along the bit, and then there was fan, there was a fan, a Stoke fan, giving him absolute dogs abuse on the side of the pitch, like Salako, you're all washed up, and you know uh, stuff. So I, I just I didn't think anything of it. I was he was like giggling, and all of a sudden John's turned around and gone. What time you got to go to work in the morning, mate? And and then I was like, oh. And he went, he went. Oh, I'm gonna have a day off tomorrow. Probably put a bit of chlorine near me indoor pool, get a bit <laughs> of hay and feed the ponies. And, and this this fan just completely was staring at him, and he was in shock. And um, and then John just like jogged off, walked off like laughing. And then when I went to sit back down in the dugout, he went, oh, I just had to give him a little bit, didn't I? Like in in the, in the, <laughs> these fans. And I thought, oh, it's the first time I've ever seen like any player like go with a, a little bit about him. Yeah. And the fans just completely like shut up. Uh, so that was quite a funny <laughs> one for me in terms of it's it's a bit like big time banter, but it was it was quite a funny one. He, he could have gone the other way and could have yeah. you know started shouting on her and swearing, but he, he went he went a different way about it. And I thought it was quite cute, but um, I found it quite funny and amusing at the time. <laughs> but yeah, that is one I could tell you live on air. There's a lot I couldn't, yeah. um, which is obviously which is not right. So yeah, we'll keep that one for another time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, reminds me of that time when Lampard was getting pelters when he was warming up, and then Chelsea scored and he just shushed them. <laughs> and the entire fan yeah. behind him goes yeah, quiet. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. I think that's the, that's that's the thing with with supporters. The moment you start booing people or giving them abuse, you never know what they can come up with. Um, yeah, so there's always going to be a, a way. You'd rather wait until the final whistle if they're if you're going to do that, then you. Yeah, <laughs> and lastly to finish up, then who's the hardest defender you've played against in your career across the entire every level you've played at? Gary Pallister. So Gary Pallister, ex-Man United, uh, under Sir Alex Ferguson when he was at, when he was partnering Steve Bruce at the back, he um, he went to Middlesbrough. So Middlesbrough signed him. I think he was manager at the time. Maybe Brian Robson was manager at the time, and he went to Middlesbrough. And I remember my first my first Premier League start for Charlton was against Middlesbrough at the Valley, and um, I looked at the team sheet and they just signed Ugo Egiog. God rest his soul. They signed him from Aston Villa. So the two centre halves were Ugo Egiog and Gary Pallister. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm starting today. I'm a young lad. Um, I think I was about 18, 18 or 19. And um, I was thinking, listen, I've got to play on Pallister. His legs are gone. So this is me in my head. His legs are gone. Play on him. Um, don't play on Ugo Egiog. He's more athletic. <laughs> and, um, and then, oh, I kid you not, Gary Pallister had me in his pocket for 90 minutes. He was unbelievable. He was strong. He was... He read the game. He was quicker than I thought. Um, yeah, he was a proper, proper defender, proper player. And he was, yeah, by far, by far the toughest centre-half that I've, I've played against. And I've played against a lot of good ones as well. If I'm, I've played against Jonathan Woodgate and um, I've played against some real good ones who have gone on in the game and, and done well as well at lower levels. But 
But yeah, Gary Pallister, even towards the end of his career, was probably yeah the the, the toughest defender I've played against. Brilliant. Honestly, I can't thank you enough for coming on to the podcast. And no, it's been great. Day. It's been great reminiscing as well. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me on. Brilliant, Charlie. Cheers. All right, everyone. Nice. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please do like, subscribe and share. It does massively help out the podcast. And thank you and on to the next one. Thank you.